Awesome. Well, good morning, River City. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here. Grateful to get to join you for worship this morning. If you are new or visiting, especially want to say welcome to you. Glad that glad to have you with us. If there's anything we can do to help you get plugged into the community, we'd love to do that. Uh, like Becky was saying, one of the best ways to get involved, one of the best ways to just grow in relationships, grow in your faith, is to get plugged into a small group. And so I'd encourage you to come check one of those out. My wife and I lead one. It is objectively the best one. And so you're welcome in ours or any of the other less best ones, okay? So uh, you're welcome in any of them. So <laughs> anyways, uh, we're in the middle of a series as we start the new year uh, that is uh, it's all about identity. Who are we? What's our purpose? Where do we get our sense of value and significance and worth? And and I was talking with someone after one of the services last week, and they were just saying how much they had appreciated, and we're learning a bunch in our series, but they were just asking, what, what made us, what, why did we decide to do this series, and, and why now? And I realized that normally at River City, we just kind of pick a book of the Bible and work our way through it verse by verse. It's kind of our MO around here, and a bunch of reasons behind that. But for example, we just got done studying the book of Nehemiah this fall when we're finished with our series here on identity. We're going to be in the book of Philippians for a couple of months and studying that letter, and but sometimes it's important and helpful for us to study various ideas or themes that we see throughout kind of the grain of Scripture, uh, because you just don't get to focus on them in such a way when you're working through just uh, books just on their own. And, and that's what really what we're doing in our series on identity here. And, and the reason why we're spending uh, time talking about identity and what the Bible has to say about that now especially is because... What I find is that the, the new year is often a time when people are, they're trying to rediscover or reinvent themselves. The new year is this season where we're kind of just trying to figure out who we are again and what are we doing this year and, and who are we, what are we really about? And in the midst of that, I just wanted to spend some time reminding us about who God says you already are to him who he already says you are to him and, and the identity that he offers us through the person and the work of Jesus so that instead of kind of endlessly trying to reinvent or manufacture an identity for ourselves that you might actually be invited to rest in the one that Jesus has secured for you and offers to you and that you might be able instead of working for an identity to work out of the identity he already offers you and 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 the reality is, is that, frankly, uh, the identity that Jesus offers us is just wildly better than any one that we manufacture or, or make for ourselves. And my hope is that for those of you who have put your faith in Jesus, that our series would just be an encouragement to you, that it'd be a reminder of who God says you are to him and, the, and who, who, who you are because of Jesus. And, and for those of you who are here this morning and you're still figuring out who Jesus is and what it means to follow him, and if that's something you're really interested in in the first place, my, my prayer has been that you might see the incredible identity that God offers you, that he holds out to you in the person and the work of Jesus, and that, that you might see it as better than the one you're trying to manufacture or cling to for yourself, and that you might instead lay hold by faith of the one he offers you, that you might rest in it and live out of the identity Jesus secured for you. And as we've studied these first couple of weeks, what we've seen is that, the, that on the most foundational level, the God-given identity that he offers us through Jesus is that we might be his image-bearing representatives, that we might be a people who glorify God uh, that ref by reflecting his nature and his character into the world. And we saw how that's such an incredibly life-giving identity because it's not one you earn or deserve, but it's one that's inherent to who God says that you are. And it's life-giving as well because it gives incredible meaning and purpose, not just to the seemingly important areas 
areas of our lives, but to even the mundane and difficult and, and hard moments in our lives. We saw as well in 1 John 1 and 2 how our identity is in Christ is that of completely forgiven image bearers. And instead of letting God define us and resting in our identity that he gives us, and we instead try to manufacture our own, we reject the identity he gives us. And that's at the heart of what sin is. And sin causes us to fail not only to image God rightly, but it causes us to fail to honor his image in others. And, and so we're sinners and our, our proverbial image bearing mirrors are broken and shattered by sin, but where Jesus failed or we failed, Jesus did not. And so by his work and through faith in him, his shed blood on the cross, it's the means by which we're able to be forgiven and renewed completely. And because of our identity as forgiven image bearers, we're free from guilt and shame and condemnation. Then we saw the next week in Galatians 3 and 4 how we're not just renewed and forgiven image bearing employees of God, but that we're his adopted, beloved children. And through faith in Christ, we have this new status and relationship with God where God's not our boss, he's not our employer, but he's a good and loving father who's brought us into his family and given us the same rights and privileges as Jesus himself. We saw last week in John 15, if the incredible reality of our adopted sonship was not amazing enough, we saw how God takes it another step further in Christ that he calls us his friends. In love, the great king and creator of the universe has befriended us, revealing himself to us, opening his heart up to us, giving us insight into his heart and his plans. And as the best friend of all, he lays down his life in commitment to us. What we saw is that our undeserved identity as his friends not only transforms our relationship with him, but it actually motivates and empowers us to be the kinds of friends to others that he was to us. And hopefully that brief recap of where we've been has been an encouragement to you as you think about the identity God holds, off, holds out for you in Christ. But as we continue our series this morning, what I want to highlight is the reality is, is that the identity we're given in Christ is not just an individualistic thing. It's not just a, a personal thing. It's also this inherently communal thing. We're going to see in 1 Corinthians 12 how the identity we're given in Christ is that we are part of his body. And we're part of his body, the church, and, and that just like a physical body, the church is made up of many uh, interdependent parts. And the point we're going to see Paul making as we work our way through the passage this morning is that it's not only that God's appointed and empowered each of members of his body in each different ways, but that we actually need one another, that we need one another in order to be and to do what God has called us to be and to do. In order, We need one another to be able to live out the identity God gives us. And so with that in mind, uh, let's pray. We'll dive into our passage, see how God's word keeps shaping us this morning. So let's pray. Jesus, uh, we're grateful for you and we're grateful for our time this morning. And we just ask as we study your word again that you might graciously uh, remind us about what you say is true about us. God, we are tempted to believe all kinds of lies about ourselves and about others and realities. God, we need you to speak the truth into our hearts this morning. And so, uh, God, by your grace and for your glory, would you remind us about who you say we are because of Jesus? And uh, would you enable our time together to be good news for our hearts that shapes our lives in real ways? Um, God, I don't have any power to bring that about, only you do. And so, uh, God, I ask that you would, but for our good and for your glory as we live as your people, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, chapter 12, verses 12 to 27, begins this way. 
Paul, writing to the Corinthian church, says this, Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, or we were all given one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, each one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. The parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Now, it's important to understand the context of uh, this passage as well as the greater letter of 1 Corinthians. If you were with us this last year when we worked through that book, you might remember that like the original audience of Paul's letter here to the Corinthians is that we, we too live in a culture that really encourages us to focus on ourselves, that really encourages us to be most concerned with ourselves and our own good and our own rights and what Paul's trying to do throughout chapter 12 is to get the Corinthians and us as well to shift our focus off of ourselves and instead start looking up at God and outwards at, at his body, at the church as a whole. And you see, what's happening in Corinth is that the, 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 those who were in the church who had been gifted or appointed by God for ministry in more kind of visible or spectacular kinds of ways, they were becoming really puffed up and arrogant and proud with themselves, while those who God had gifted in less visible and less spectacular kinds of ways, they were feeling overlooked and left out and unnecessary and unimportant, both of which I'll add are ultimately selfish mindsets, self-centered mindsets. And in response to this self-centered individualistic focus, Paul takes some time to remind them about the reality of their identity and calling as the church in the first place. And he says in verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and each of you is a part of it. Now, before we look at all the really deep and profound ways that that reality impacts the way we view and relate to one another, uh, we, we first need to take a minute to just ask the question, what does that mean? What does it mean that Jesus refers to us as his body, as the, as the body of Christ? And to do that, we got to kind of take just a brief detour to the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter 1, where Paul writes in verse 22 and 23, he says, says about this, he says, God's placed all things under Jesus' feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. What Paul is saying there and what he fleshes out here in 1 Corinthians 12 is, is the idea that the church, which again is not the building but is the, the people of God, is meant to be the embodiment 
of Jesus in the world and therefore the means by which God fills the earth with his presence and his glory. In other words, the, the identity and calling of the church, of God's people, is, that, is to fill the earth with the presence of God by living as the embodiment of Jesus himself. It's to fill the earth with the presence of God by living as the embodiment of Jesus. That's like the big E on the I chart. That's the, the most foundational, core-level part of our identity and our purpose as God's people. John Piper sums it up this way. He says, God means to fill the universe with the glory of his Son by putting the church on display as the embodiment of his Son. See, our primary purpose, our highest calling the, the root level about who we are as God's people is that we might fill the earth with the glory of God by being the embodiment of Jesus as his church in the world. What Paul is saying throughout our passage, and specifically in verse 27, is that, is that you cannot do that alone. You cannot do it alone. You cannot do it by yourself. You cannot be the body of Christ by yourself. You cannot fill the earth with the presence of God by yourself. If you could, then you would be Jesus. You are not, so that's not how it works then. Instead, by God's design, it takes a community of people to live as the embodied presence of Jesus in the world for God's glory. Verse 18 and 24 and 28, they all repeat that this body has been intentionally and deliberately put together by God in such a way that it's only when we come together that you're able to, by his power, to embody the very presence and power of Jesus and so fill the earth with his glory. It's only as a community that that happens, which means, among other things, that being a part of the church, as a follower of Jesus, being a part of the church is not optional. It's not optional. And it's central to our very identity and calling as the people of God. And so to check out and to opt out and just to say no to being a part of, a, of the church is, is, or to just be fine with kind of endlessly showing up but never plugging in and never serving and never giving and never being a, a part of that community is to fundamentally is to reject the very identity and purpose for which God's called you to. You cannot do it by yourself. But what's so important that you see throughout the passage is how this unified, Christ-embodying community, just like a physical body, is made up of many unique and yet interdependent parts. Unique and interdependent parts, each of which are necessary and indispensable to our ability to actually live out the identity God gives us as people. Verse 12, just as one body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Verse 21, 22, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? Paul's saying it doesn't work. It doesn't work on your own. There are many unique and yet interdependent parts in the body of Christ. Paul's saying that God's designed his body, the church, in such a way that, that only if every part is, not only that every part's unique, but that every part is necessary. Every part is interdependent. You see, the, a, a body is not just a collection of random pieces, right, uh, doing their own thing. It's a deeply interconnected organism. You, you deeply understand that when in the middle of the night, as a parent, you're going to get a drink of water and you step on a Lego, right? 
Because what happens is, is you step on the Lego and very quickly your leg just kind of, your knee kind of bends and your leg pulls up, right? And in just great pain, right? And your arm reaches down to kind of grab your foot a little because you're hoping that by some means of rubbing, you will somehow remove the shattering pain out of your foot from that Lego, right? Your, your mouth opens to scream sometimes for sure the praises of God. That's the only thing that would come out in that moment, right? Your eyes start scanning the floor for any other death spikes that you need to avoid, right? If you want to love your children in the morning still, right? You see, your body's very interconnected. And when one thing happens, there are all these parts working together. But it's not just that the body is interconnected. It's that what Paul's outlining is here is that the, the body of Christ is interdependent. And you, you, know, you, you understand that in your own body, right? Maybe you've thrown out your back or you've injured your foot or something like that. What you find is that very quickly, you're kind of just hobbling around for a while. And very quickly, what happens is that new parts of you start hurting that weren't hurting before, right? Like new things get injured on you that weren't originally injured because what's happening is, is that the other parts of your body, which were not designed to function like your back is, right, are trying to make up for the part that's not working, and they're not designed to do that, and so they're not doing it well, and they themselves are getting injured. You're, get, you're adding that all thing, and pretty soon nothing works, and you just can't do anything, right? See, the same is true in the body of Christ. Everyone in the body isn't just different. They're necessary and indispensable. There are no appendixes in the body of Christ. You see, and if you don't serve in ways that God's appointed and empowered for you to do, if you don't play the roles that God is in calling you into, inviting you into, in the church, in this community, it doesn't only hurt you. It actually impacts the entire body. It inhibits all of us from being the Christ-embodying church that God has called us to be. By God's design, that's how it works. And so I want to just be clear, though, when I'm talking about ministering with your gifts and serving in the ways that God's calling you into, I am not primarily talking about Sunday mornings. Not primarily talking about Sunday mornings. Don't get me wrong, we need people to serve and to use their gifts here on Sundays in all different kinds of ways, but filling the earth, even just our city, with the glory of God by embodying his presence, that does not primarily get worked out on a Sunday morning. It gets worked out in the context of communities living life on mission together, seeking to grow in the gospel and make disciples and multiply Christ-embodying communities in the everyday stuff of life. It happens as we invest our lives as a community into one another and into our family and into our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers. That's why it's so important for you to get involved in a small group. Lots of churches view small groups in different ways, but at River City, small groups are not one of the many ways you can serve or get involved. It's at the hub of how ministry and relationship happens here at River City. See, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where growing in the gospel really happens. That's where disciple-making really happens. That's where Christ-embodying multiplication, that's where that gets worked out. Whenever I sit down with people who are becoming, thinking about becoming members at River City, like maybe some of you are, or maybe you're coming to the membership class in a couple of weeks, I always tell them, yes, find a way to, that you can serve on a Sunday. That's super important. We absolutely need that. But way more importantly, intentionally, deliberately, seriously ask God how he might be calling and using you to invest your lives into the people of this church and give yourselves to that. Give yourselves to the people of the church and to making disciples. 
You see, the reality is that God doesn't, hasn't just brought you to River City so you could serve in the nursery or run slides on a Sunday. We absolutely need both of those things. But he's in, called you into this body of believers so that we might fill the city with the glory of God as more and more people come to know and love and serve and follow him. That's at the heart of it. So church, I need you to hear this. Paul is not just saying that you need the body of Christ. And he's also not just saying that the body needs you. He's saying both. He's saying that you need the body of Christ and that the body of Christ needs you. And so if you are a Christian, the reality is not just that you need a community that will help you to live out your identity and calling. You do need that. And also that that community needs you in order to live out the identity God's given us as his people. So God has uniquely appointed and empowering each of us to minister and to serve on behalf of him in ways that he is not doing in the lives of others. So we're each needed. The reality of that interdependence as members of the body of Christ, that's not a sign of weakness or immaturity. It's not something we're supposed to kind of grow up out of. If we really just grow up in our faith, we won't, we, we won't need others as much. The fact of the reality is, is the more you grow up in your faith, the more you realize how much you need others more than you thought in the first place. It's part of God's good design from the very beginning, and so the same is true of the church, that we need each other to live out our calling to be the embodying presence of God that fills the earth. You cannot do it alone. You see, in the reality that the Corinthian believers, they really needed to hear that. They really needed to hear that. My guess is that a bunch of you need to hear that as well. We all need that reminder because there's these two really big lies that we're all tempted to believe all the time about ourselves and about others that fundamentally kind of undermine our ability to live out the identity God gives us in Christ as his church. And the first lie is this, is that we are unnecessary and dispensable. That you are unnecessary and dispensable. You think that about yourself. You see, the Corinthian culture loved everything showy and flashy and spectacular. And the more spectacular and the more eye-catching and the more attention-grabbing, the better. And everyone wanted all the attention all the time. And so in the church, everyone wanted to have the, the opportunities for ministry and giftings that were all visible and upfront and spectacular and miraculous and so that everyone would think that they were really great. And when... And that wasn't how God chose to appoint and empower them for ministry. They were full of self-pity. They thought to themselves, well, I'm not like any of those other Christians who can do all that cool stuff. I guess I just don't belong. I guess I'm not important. I'm unnecessary. Those are the people that are saying this stuff in verse 15 and 16, right? They're saying, because I'm not a hand or an eye, I guess I don't belong in the body. I'm not a part of it. Maybe that's you. Maybe you look at the ways that God's appointing and empowering you for ministry and you wish that they were different. Or you look at the ways he's, he's doing that in the lives of others, and you think, wow, I just don't have anything to bring to the table. I'm not needed around here. What do I have to offer? They don't need me. You see, that's one lie that we believe we are dispensable, that we are unnecessary. But the other lie that we often believe is that others are unnecessary and dispensable. See, the Corinthian believers who got it empowered with these more visible and spectacular kinds of opportunities for ministry, they were looking at everybody else and thinking, wow, well, we're varsity and you're JV and we do not need you, right? We are good on our own. We got our stuff together. We do not need you, right? Go Run along, right? We don't need, we don't need any of you. We're good. We're varsity. You're JV, right? And that's who Paul's addressing when he says that the eye and the head, they can't say to the hands and the feet that we don't need you. 
See, the reality is that one of our worst fears is that we might be considered or seen as dispensable and disposable and replaceable. And ironically, the the way that we tend to guard against that, the way that we tend to kind of push back against that is to inflate our view of, of ourselves by deflating our view of others. Growing up, I don't know about you, uh, I wanted to be the next Michael Jordan. My parents are visiting this weekend. They brought me some Michael Jordan posters that were hanging in my wall. And I was like, ah, this brings back the memories, right? Um, Unfortunately, I successfully got cut from every basketball team I ever tried out for, right? Because I was just objectively not good, right? And I hated going to the clipboard on the wall that listed everyone who made the team because I knew that I wasn't going to be on the list. And so, and to fight that feeling of being dispensable and unnecessary, I'd tell myself that, that I was really better than this one other kid who I think his dad was kind of like friends with the coach. And, and so I'd just tell myself that, that, that the reality was is that I was, I was better than him. And that the team was really better off if they would have had me, but they got stuck with him. And so, right, so that, that's their problem, right? And I would find ways in my mind to criticize this other, this other uh, player. And I would look for ways that I was trying to be better than him. And I'd rationalize it in my head. And I'd think, wow, the team would really be better off if they had me. That, that I'm not dispensable, that he is. See, the reality is that we do that kind of stuff all the time. You see, we actually believe both lies all the time. You see, in our weaknesses, we tend to see ourselves as dispensable. And in our strengths, we tend to see others as dispensable. See, but the reality is, the truth is that both of those are lies. Paul's response to both of those lies is to remind us about the God-designed interdependence and necessity of each part of his body. He says it this way in verses 17 and 19, if the whole body were an eye, then where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? If they were all one part, where would the body be? Verse 22, on the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are really indispensable. He says to them, you all need each other. And the parts that you think you need less, you actually don't even understand how much you need. One commentator puts it this way, he says, no matter how important any one member may be, there can be no body formed from it alone, for that would be a monster and not a body. You see, the reality is that in the body of Christ, you need preachers and you need administrators. Right? If, if church, if you just had me, you might get a great sermon, but you'd have nobody to watch your kids because I would have forgotten to fill out the planning center blackout thing that scheduled anybody to do it, right? Or you'd have a terrible sermon because I spent 49 hours trying to figure out that darn spreadsheet and it just never works, right? right? But rather, my wife spends like 12 minutes and she's got 13 weeks like laid out, right? And it's like she looks at a spreadsheet and it makes her happy, right? And that's both a cause for concern and appreciation, but you know, like everybody is different. That's how it works, right? Similarly, right, in the body of Christ, you need small group leaders, and you also need people who are the relational glue in a community. Because you could have the greatest Bible study of all time, and it wouldn't matter a lick if people didn't actually feel like they were a part of a relationship. And you wouldn't actually be able to live out the things you've been studying and talking if nobody actually wants to be together. Nobody actually wants to be a part of that kind of a community. So you need all kinds of people God's uniquely appointing and empowering each of us in different ways. And he's doing that for you as well. 
You see, in the, the same is true of the gifts and opportunities for ministry that God's appointing and empowering for you to do. One commentator sums it up this way. He says, God's given every member gifts. He's given every member roles, but he has not given any individual all of them. For we are incomplete in and of ourselves. We are incomplete in and of ourselves. Church, that's actually good news. See, we live in a culture that says you are enough on your own. You're enough. You don't need anyone. You don't need anything. You are sufficient. Everyone knows that's a lie. All of us have weaknesses. All of us have blind spots. All of us have inadequacies. And you're just lying to yourself if you are trying to believe that you have everything you need on your own. That's not the way. It's, it's just not even, it doesn't even hold up to reality. See, but it's actually good news, not only that we need one another, but that God has made us a part of a body in which the needs that we have are met in the lives of others. We need one another, and that's good. And the reality is that to the extent that there is a failure to see the necessity of the diversity of members in God's body is that to the extent that we will view ourselves or others as dispensable, and we will miss God's good design for his church. So the question is, how, how do you combat those lies? How do you combat the lies of self-pity and self-sufficiency that, that keep us from living out the identity God gives us as image-bearing, glory-reflecting people, being the embodiment of Jesus? Well, it's the same way that you fight any other lies we're tempted to believe as Christians, by coming back to the person and the work of Jesus, to the truths of the gospel. You see, because the gospel, the person, the work of Jesus, not only tells us what is true, it proves to us what is true. It proves to us what is true, that we are necessary and indispensable to God himself. Stephen Um so beautifully writes it this way. He says, Christ could have viewed sinners as dispensable, and yet in his grace he sees us as indispensable. In fact, he became dispensable in our place. For even if we have falsely determined that we or others are dispensable, the head of the body has declared that we are not. The most presentable part, the head, was willing to be dishonored so that the least presentable parts, you and I, might receive honor. The strongest member was made weak and dispensable in order that the weaker members, you and I, might be considered as indispensable. Church, that's the truth about the gospel. And that reality, it transforms a community of people. It transforms a community because when Jesus says that none of, our, none of us are dispensable, that he died for each one of us, and that he has placed each and every one of us in his body, as it says, just as he wanted. Not as he had to, just as he wanted. And so that together we might fill the earth with the glory of God as we embody his presence until he comes. See, the reality is that both of those lies we're tempted to believe about ourselves and about others, they fundamentally, they stem from a heart of pride. See, we want to be the most important. We want our gifts to be seen as the most indispensable. We want to be viewed as special. We want to be viewed as necessary. And that happens because we've forgotten our identity and calling, the one we already have because of Jesus and the gospel. But here's the reality, when you remember who Jesus has already said and proved that you were to him, you are free. 
that longing that we all have to be seen as indispensable, the gospel already fulfills that longing. It proves to us that to God you were that way. And that frees us. You see, the gospel frees us from the need to always be primarily concerned about ourselves. And it empowers us to be primarily concerned about the glory of God and the good of others because that need you have to be seen as indispensable has been met in Jesus. And so you are free. You have all the meaning and value and purpose and worth you could ever need. And so you're free. Instead of living for yourself to live for the glory of God and the good of others. And see, the gospel transforms who we are. It changes us. And it's the message of the gospel that we're remembering and celebrating each week as we take communion. Because the truth is, we believe those lies all the time. That we are dispensable or that others are. And so each week we need to choose to remember that Jesus' body, his blood, was broken and shed for us so that you might know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are indispensable to him that you might be included into a community whose staggering identity and calling is to fill the earth with the glory of God by living as the embodiment of his son. You see, communion, it doesn't make you right with God. It doesn't save you. It doesn't change your status or standing with him. The Bible is clear. Faith alone in Jesus is the one thing that does that. Instead, communion is a chance for us to remember to remember what God has proven is already true about us. And so if you're here today and you haven't yet placed your faith in Jesus, I just want you to know how welcome you are in this community. But I want to encourage you, hold off on taking communion. Communion is about remembering and celebrating by faith, our trust that's put in Jesus, the identity he offers us. I don't want you to just go through religious rituals or go through the motions. That's not what God is after. So communion might not be right for you this morning, but Jesus is, and the community of believers here at River City is. And we would love to invite you into this community and into growing in your faith and asking those questions and seeking out what it looks like to have an identity in Jesus. But for those of you who have trusted Jesus and believe the gospel this morning, if, you are, if your identity is given to you by him, then I want to encourage you, go back during our time of worship and take communion. Do it as a joyful celebration, a reminder of his body and blood broken and shed for you as proof that you are indispensable to him and as the freedom that you need to be able to live no longer for yourselves, but to live for him and for his glory as a part of his body. As you do, wherever you're at, I want to encourage you, talk with God. Ask him to help you take your eyes off of yourself and instead focus on him and the community he's placed you in that you might be a part of the body that reflects him and bears his image. Ask him as well to remind you of your need for the community, the church. Ask him as well to graciously convict you where you see yourself or others as dispensable. And ask him to remind you about the truths of the gospel which root your identity in what he says about you as a dearly loved, adopted child of his, one who has been befriended by the great king and creator of the universe, who gave his life so that you might know you are loved and valued. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so grateful for your word and our time together in it this morning. And the reality is, is we just, we tend to believe those lies all the time. 
that we are dispensable and unnecessary or that others in this body are. God, and we need you by your grace to root those lies out of our hearts. Would you be reminding us, Jesus, about how your life and death proves to us that we are indispensable to you and help us to view others with that same perspective. God, cause us to be characterized by a joyful humility as we celebrate the interdependence of your body. And God, cause us to give ourselves wholly to being a part of this church and this community so that we might live as the embodiment of your son, Jesus, and therefore fill the earth with your glory. We pray, amen.